You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. I have such a treat for you this week. I had the pleasure of sitting down with ultra endurance swimmer, Sarah Thomas. And if you don't know who Sarah Thomas is, I will contend that it's because she is far too freaking humble because this woman should be a household name, in my opinion. In Sarah Thomas's 40 years on this planet, she has endured chemo, radiation, and surgery for aggressive breast cancer, a traumatic ectopic pregnancy, and the challenges of cancer-related medical menopause. She has also smashed the preconceived notions of what is possible in the water, becoming the first person to complete a four-way crossing of the English Channel in 54 hours and 10 minutes, just one year after completing her cancer treatments. Most recently, Sarah has become the first person in history to complete a two-way crossing of the North Channel in 21 hours and 46 minutes in freezing water peppered by giant jellyfish. She holds the record also for being the first person to swim Lake Champlain, which if you don't know, that covers, oh, 104.6 miles, and she did that in just over 67 hours. I could go on and on and on, but I will let her tell you about it in the show. I just want to say, Sarah, you are a rock star and I am blown away by what you do. Her next goal, for those who are interested, uh, is she wants to complete the two swims that she has left in the Ocean's Sevens Challenge, which uh, comprises seven long distance open water swims across the most dangerous sea channels in the world. Sarah writes beautifully about her swimming and the challenges that she has faced in her life at her website, sarahthomasswims.com. I will link that in the show notes. I encourage you to check it and her out. All right. Before we get to it, please remember to sign up for my free weekly blog, feistymenopause.com, where I distill all the latest research and what it means to you. Follow us at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook. Come on in and join our private and still growing Hit Play Not Pause Facebook group. If you like what you're hearing here and you want a deeper dive into all things training and nutrition and mindset, we have a membership as well. And you can learn about our Level Up membership. That's what it's called at feistymenopause.com. Finally, very quick thanks to AminoCo for their support of this show. I have been drinking a bottle with a scoop of AminoCo's Perform product to put some amino acids in my system before my triathlon training sessions. And I love the mental focus and energy it gives me. And sometimes when there's a super hard session on tap, I'll toss a bit of beta alanine in that bottle as well. And I feel absolutely bionic. So thanks, AminoCo, for your support. All right, enough of me. Let's have a few words about our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. As a lifelong runner and cyclist, I am stoked to announce that Tifosi Optics has come on as a podcast sponsor. The beauty of Tifosi sports glasses is that they hit all the marks. They are shatterproof polycarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance and complete eye protection. 
they stay put. They have little hydrophilic rubber nose pads that actually get more grippy the more you sweat. So they stay secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in sauna-like conditions. No matter what sport you do, they have a shade for your activity, including tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, and just hanging out at the beach. And they are super reasonably well-priced, which is very hard to find in a sea of overpriced eyewear. And they just look freaking rad. So head on over to tifosioptics.com and use the code FM, capital F, and capital M, like feisty menopause, number 20, FM20, to get 20% off your order today. I'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Okay, Sarah, I am um, very excited that you are here. I'm glad somebody recommended you on Instagram and they're like, you should you should talk to this woman. I was like, you are correct. I should definitely talk to this woman, uh, you know, because your story, which we'll get into here is, you know, it's it's a bit unique, but it's it's not out of the ordinary necessarily. You know, there's a lot of women in our audience who sort of have faced the same challenges and um, I'm just glad you're here. So thanks for joining yeah. us. Well, thanks for having me. I'm super excited to chat. All right. Well, before we start, I want to go in and learn a bit more about your incredible talent for distance swimming, because I always wonder when I hear about people like you, I'm like, how did you discover that you can do this? Yeah, it was totally 100% an accident. <laughs> um, my mom had me basically in swim lessons before I could walk. Um, so just grew up in the water, on the water, loving the water. And uh, by the time I was seven, I was just begging desperately to be on a swim team. And it just swam competitively in the pool through high school, through college. I walked onto the University of Connecticut swim team. And I was just a super duper average pool swimmer, um, but I just loved it. So kind of stuck with it. Um, when I moved to Denver for grad school, I joined a master's team and um, some of my new teammates just started like almost immediately telling me like, hey, you would be so good in open water swimming. And I grew up in Texas and like Oklahoma where, you know, like that's not really a thing. Like the lakes there are not delightful. <laughs> and so it had just like never even crossed my mind um, to even try open water swimming. So it took some nudging. Um, they talked me into doing a 10K open water race um, here um, out, outside of Denver in Fort Collins. And I just loved it. It was just like one of those moments of like, oh, this is what I should have been doing all along. And I did. I just, um, I've, I loved that 10K distance, which at the time was super intimidating and super scary. And I it thought, no sounds one can that possibly, way to me still. <laughs> yeah, I was like, no one can possibly swim 10K six miles without stopping like that is that's out of this world. And um, I did it and I loved it and it wasn't terrible. And it kind of in the swim community, I started meeting people who had done things like the English Channel. Um, and it had never occurred to me that you would like meet people in the world who had won the English Channel. And it just kind of inspired me to maybe, hey, well, if they can do it, maybe I can try it. And I tried it and loved it and just kind of kept it going, um, always with this drive to like, see how far I could push myself, see what I could accomplish in the water, um, and just really purely driven out of a passion for the water and just being in the water. And then in 2017, I read that you performed a record-breaking swim in Lake Champlain. And 
for those of us who are like, this is not our world at all. And I'm going to guess it's a lot of us like myself. Most people, you, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you explain like what you did there? Yeah, sure. So um, kind of as I'm going along, you know, I, I swam the English Channel in 2012. Oh, okay. Yeah. So I swam just English Channel in 2012. Um, I got to France and um I like remember standing in France and like looking back and saying, I could, I could swim back right now. Um, and that's not a normal thing. People don't normally get to France and be like, that wasn't too hard. And how far is that for those of us who don't know? Yeah. The English channel is about 20 miles, um, 21 miles, kind of depending on how the current pulls you. And so um, kind of starting in 2012, I was like, I got to do more. So like I started doing like, I did a 40 mile swim um, and a 50 mile swim um, in 2013. And they just kind of built it. I did an 80 mile swim in 2016. Um, and these are distances that people don't do, right? You know, most people like that 20 mile distance is really, really far. Um, and so when I'm breaking into that like 50 mile range, there's only like 10 people in history who have swum more than 50 miles all at once. Um, and this is without stopping, no wetsuit, you know, you're just no wetsuit. No wetsuit. Yeah. Just regular old like swimsuit cap goggles that's all you get and do you have a, a a kayak following you feeding you yeah you've got um either a boat or a kayak depends on the distance of the swim sometimes both if it's a really long one and so just you know over the years you know that first 10k was in 2007 so okay. kind of between 2007 and 2017 i'm just going longer and farther and kind of pushing the limits and kind of seeing what is possible. And so in 2017, to get back to your question. How long before we get there? How long does an 80 <laughs> yeah. mile swim take you? Really long. Um, <laughs> so that was um, the 80 mile swim I did in 2016 in Lake Powell. Um, it took me 56 hours. Wow. So like nonstop swimming for 56 hours. And I, you're not napping in the water. No. Right? right. Yeah. No, I like tried, you know, like, I like research, like, okay, what happens when you stay awake for this many days? And um, is it possible to stay awake? And, you know, there's studies on like micro sleeps where you can just like briefly yeah. fall asleep for a few seconds. So I'm like, well, maybe during the night I can like get into my rhythm and I'm swimming and maybe I can like fall asleep for like a minute and that will be refreshing. And it, that doesn't happen. I tried really hard. Are you um, hallucinating? You just... I mean, you hear about ultra runners like seeing stuff. Are you seeing like narwhals and wh like what do you see um that's what you know I so one of the things that I'm researching for Lake Powell I was like I found ultra running and I'm like oh my gosh these are my people um and so I'm reading about all of their hallucinations and so I was kind of like excited like <laughs> I'm gonna hallucinate this might actually be fun um and I I have never once hallucinated um, and it's like really disappointing. I know I was like really kind of looking forward to it. I'm like, what am I going to see? What's my imagination going to bring to me? And there is like nothing, just torture. <laughs> Where does your mind go? Yeah, it goes everywhere. You know, like if you just, I don't you know, in the middle of Lake Champlain, I remember I was like swimming and I'm like, I forgot to email Kim. So, you know, like you're <laughs> yeah. thinking, you're thinking about work, you're thinking about life, you know, you're, yeah, I get it. You know, you're just in the zone. You know, my favorite is when you're just kind of in that just like meditative, quiet space where you're not worried about anything. All you're doing is swimming. You know, I stop every 30 minutes for feed my boat and my crew, they throw me a bottle. Um, so I like, 
chug. And so we do that every 30 minutes. So I'm stopping for like 30 seconds every half an hour. And so like at some point, those 30 minutes start to go by really fast. I bet. And then you just kind of lose track of all time and being and, and it's kind of nice. You know, I enjoy that part of it. It's when you're like stuck in the waves and getting sick to your stomach and all of that stuff. That part is not so much not, not fun. fun. No. All right. So let's go. Now we're now we're in August 2017. I've got the stage. And you what is Lake Champlain? Yeah, so Lake Champlain um is a lake. It's a gigantic lake, um, kind of on the border of New York and Vermont. Um kind of goes up into Canada for people who are not familiar with that part of the US. Um and it's just this long, narrow lake. And you know, the year before I had gone 80 miles and I said you know what, I can go more, you know, I got out, I did like a little jump at the end of Lake Powell. And I was like, there's more left in the tank here. And so um, we went to Lake Champlain so that I could try and break the 100 mile mark, uh, which had never been done. Um, no one has swum that far um, without the assistance of a current. And so um went to Lake Champlain um, in August of 2017, um, did kind of an out and back loop. Um started pretty far north in the lake, kind of almost in Canada, swam down about 50 miles, turned around and came back. And I ended up at 104 point or 105.6 or something. I always forget the numbers. It's really terrible. But um, I swam for 67 hours straight. That part I definitely remember. <laughs> it was a really long couple of days. Um, and um, there was nothing left in the tank when I finished Lake Champlain, that's for sure. <laughs> Because that's days. I mean, that's literally yeah. seeing yeah. the sun come up and set. Like, Yeah. Yeah. We started at eight in the morning on a Monday, um, you know, and so, so I talk to people and sometimes I get in my mind, I get it like mixed up. But yeah, like I watched the sun go down three times. Wow. Uh, you know what I mean? Like there was three sunsets that I that's slammed crazy. through. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've done 24 hour mountain bike racing and like I can't even wrap my head around. Yeah. what you're talking about <laughs> yeah so it's a it's a really long way um super long way yeah <laughs> um and it's you know it's filled with so many emotions right there was um on the start of the third day like I was just spent you know I've been awake for 48 hours and I just started to sob you know and it's like, not surprisingly you know and I'm like why am I crying right now like I'm fine because you need sleep <laughs> yeah but I'm like I am like hysterically sobbing like stopping and emptying my goggles out and I'm like this is fine like I'm okay but I'm just really sad um and it's fine you know like you push through it my team was you know, and they're used to seeing me cry and they're like, it's fine. You're okay. You're doing great. Good job. <laughs> um, but you know, it's hard because you're like, why am I like, what's happening to me right now? Yeah. Wow. Wow. I mean, just wow. Okay. So which, which actually, I mean, all of this makes the next thing that we're pivoting to in my mind, all the more jarring, you know, because it wasn't that long after this incredible feat that, that your life took what I can only imagine was this most blindsiding turn, right? And you were diagnosed with an aggressive form of breast cancer at 35. Like, did you have any inkling anything was wrong? Mm -mm. No, not one tiny inkling. So Lake Champlain was in August. Um, in late October, I found a lump in my breast. So I just found it on my own. Um, took me forever to get into the doctor. Um, I think I had to wait like four, four or five, six weeks or something just to get in to see my doctor. Um, and I was just, you know, like in denial, like it's a cyst, you know, there's no family history of cancer in my family at all. You know, like 
there's no breast cancer, no, like, you know, we're healthy <laughs> Midwesterners, you know, like, uh, and so it didn't even occur to me that I should be worried about it. I'm like, you know, I should probably go get this checked out, but like, I'm sure it's just a cyst, you know, it didn't hurt, but like, it wasn't going away. Um, so went in to just see my primary care doctor and she poked around on it and she was like, you should go get a mammogram and like, do not delay. She's like, I'm going to refer you. She's like, they've got three locations. They're not going to have an opening at the place closest to you. Take their first available appointment. And I was like, uh oh, like, this is serious. Not like, what I wanted to hear. Yeah, like, she's she's scared. And so I did. I went in for my mammogram. They took me straight back and did an ultrasound. Um, the doctor came in and she was like, been doing this for 30 years. She's like, we're going to wait for this biopsy to come back. But I can tell you by looking at it, this is scary. And this is you, you probably have breast cancer. Um, you know, and again, I was 35 years old. You know, two weeks ago, I thought, oh, maybe I just have a cyst. Um, and it is, it's just, it spins your life around because I was totally healthy. No inkling whatsoever that something could possibly be wrong. You know, I had just completed like my greatest athletic feat um, that I could ever have possibly imagined. I had in the other world. I mean, it's not yeah, just you, you know, like, <laughs> yes. Um, and then, you know, I had other plans, you know, I, I, you know, I wasn't done by any means. And so it just, it, it stops you, you know, and it's gut wrenching and it's horrible and your entire life just changes like on, almost instantaneously. And it's not really a good time. Yeah. Well, what did, so then what happened, like, what was the course? I mean, you had, I know, you know, chemo and radiation, like, what did that look like? And were you able to continue doing this sport you love during all of yeah. this? Yeah. So I was diagnosed with triple negative breast cancer, which means it was hormone negative across the board, um, which has some pros and cons to it, but it's super aggressive um, with a super high risk of reoccurrence, especially within the first five years. And um, so when you have triple negative, they do things in like a little bit different order. So if people are familiar with um, breast cancer treatment. Normally you start with surgery, but I started with chemo. So I did, um, 16 rounds of chemo over, I think, you know, we started in December, right before Christmas and then finished, um, at the beginning of May. So I did, um, my 16 rounds of chemo and then I did a mastectomy and then, um, I got to follow that up with 25 rounds of radiation. Um, so it was kind of about nine months total of treatment from when we started, chemo until radiation finished. Um, and I did, I swam pretty well through most of it. I was um, pretty active, especially during chemo. Um, my doctor really encouraged me to do whatever felt good. Um, she said, gone are the days where, you know, we want you to still lay around and rest. Um, she said, you know, rest if you feel like you need to, don't push anything, um, but exercise will do nothing but help you. And so I swam about as much as I could um, during chemo probably like three, four days a week um, swimming. Um, it was my routine to always swim the day the day of chemo. So the chemo on Thursdays. And so I'm like, I'm going to get up in the morning at five o'clock and I'm going to go to the pool because I'm going to feel like crap for the next few days. Um, so definitely had a nice routine during chemo. Um, struggled after my mastectomy. I had to be out for eight weeks um, and I did battle with my surgeon as to how soon I could go back in the water. Um, because I was going crazy. Um, my goal was to make him laugh every time I went in because he's a very serious um, perfectionist type of a man. Um, 
And so going in, I'm like, all right, I'm going to make this guy laugh and I'm going to get cleared to swim sooner rather than later. But he held firm. Um, so that was probably the hardest part for me was that eight weeks when I just wasn't allowed um, to be in the water. And then during radiation, they also encouraged me to swim. Um, but at some point I burned so badly. They were like, yeah, you probably shouldn't be in the water right now because I was oozing and um, open sores and all kinds of stuff like that. So, um, yeah. yeah, so it kept out of the water for a little bit during radiation. But I will say um, I was pretty motivated. So that first 10K that I mentioned um, it's in September of every year. And so kind of at the start of all of it, I'm like, I want to be ready to swim horse tooth again. Like I really, I like, no matter what happens, I want to be able to swim horse tooth. And so it was about two and a half weeks after radiation that horse tooth was scheduled. Um, and the race director is a friend after all of these years. And so he was, he knew I wanted to do it and he held a spot open for me because they sell out. And, um, I just remember kind of like the days leading up to it. He's like, can you swim? Can you swim? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm cleared for open water yet. And so on Friday, I went to see my surgeon um, and he looked at my wounds and he's like, yeah, you can swim. And so I, you know, I emailed Joe and I'm like, Joe, I'm coming. I'll be there. Like, I can't wait. And so two and a half weeks after radiation, I did this 10K and it was slow. Like it was probably my slowest time, um, but it was just me and my husband in the kayak. And it was like this moment of like, I did it, you know, like I'm, I'm done with this treatment. I can move on. I won. Um, and I'm, I'm back to doing what I love. Where does your, your medical induced menopause come in? Because, you know, I mean, you, you, which I'll put a link to it in the show notes. You did this beautiful essay sort of on this part of this, this journey. So where, where, where does that sort of slide into your life? Right. So during chemo, so I think it was, um, I was okay. I'm trying to think it was probably two weeks into chemo, um, roughly that my periods stopped. Um, and my oncologist had told me that this would happen. We were prepared for it. You know, she was very open as to what would happen, you know, kind of looking at the research at 35, I was on the borderline of if my periods would come back or not come back. Um, we just didn't, we didn't know what was going to happen. Um, but we had super honest conversation about what that was going to look like, what that might do to my fertility. Like, um, she was wonderful at discussing all of that with me. So I was prepared. Um, I'd say during chemo, particularly, I had the most horrific hot flashes and night sweats. And I remember thinking, I'm so glad I'm bald right now because <laughs> like, I could just pull my hat off and just like sweat it out. And I was like, okay, this is one thing to be grateful for right now. Um, but, you know, it, and it was hard, you know, it just, I don't know, you're in the middle of all this cancer treatment and you're definitely not having periods. I remember before my mastectomy, they had to do a pregnancy test. And I was like, I am not pregnant. Um, you know, and my urine was too diluted. So they had to do a blood test. And I'm like, this is just traumatic to me because like we had hoped to maybe have kids and like, I haven't had a period in, you know, nine months. And now we're like belaboring the fact that maybe I'm pregnant right now. Um, you know, so there's just kind of comes with it all these, I don't know, traumatic things that just kind of break you in ways that you're not even like expecting to be broken. And how long did that, that, induced menopause last it was about nine months um so actually right before that swim um I, okay my period my my period started oh wow I, like 
yeah, I was like, whoa, like I was not expecting it to come back. I hadn't had any like inkling that it was going to. Um, I remember I called my husband and I'm like, my period started. Um, and the man, he's this big, tough, like tattooed mechanic man. And he like started to cry on the phone. Like, I'm not even kidding. He was like, I'm so excited. That makes me so happy. Um, and so, you know, we're, you know, kind of in that moment, we're like, okay, maybe things are going to go back to normal. Maybe we can talk about having kids again in the future. Like, maybe I, you know, we we bought some time here. And so, like, it was a little bit of a relief after nine months of, like, feeling tortured. Um, but I will say, even after my period started back, like, I was still having, like, moderate hot flashes and night sweats. So, you know, like, none of those symptoms, like, really, truly ever went away. Um, so like, you know, my periods are back regularly, but like, they're killing me. You know, I'm on a super short cycle now, like death comes every 25 days. <laughs> like this is not normal for me. Um, and I'm going to the doctors and we're kind of loosely talking about it, but you know, especially early on, the focus was like, well, your, your cancer's done. Aren't you happy? <laughs> you know? Um, and that's the frustrating part is, you know, kind of, it's been five years now since my diagnosis. And I would say probably in the last two to three years, um, stuff just like on my insides are, are not right. And I can feel them like slowly shifting. And every time I'm at a doctor, whether it's my primary care doctor, uh, my oncologist, I'm, I'm saying the same things like, hey, my periods are super short. They're really painful. Um, and they're like, well, maybe we could try like, you know, a little bit of birth control, you know, because you're triple negative. Maybe we can do birth control. And I'm like, well, I would like to maybe have a baby. Yeah. Um, you know, and so like, and that was the only option that was ever given to me. And I'm like, you know, we don't really want to do birth control, but maybe that would help your period. But no discussion as to like, what might actually be happening to me, what my timeline might be like for having a baby, like, do I need to rush this? Like, there's just never any openness or discussion or anything other than me kind of gradually starting to feel like I was maybe insane. Um, that I'm experiencing all these things. And, you know, I'm, I'm screaming it, I feel like to all of my medical providers, and it's just nothing like, okay, maybe let's treat a symptom here and there. But otherwise, it's like, well, you had cancer. Congrats, you're alive. So, so in the in the scheme of things, you because I had read that you did, you did get pregnant somewhere in here, mm -hmm. correct? Yeah. When when did that happen? Yeah, I got pregnant in um, when was it? It was April of 2021. Okay. Um, so about two years after, is that where we're at? Two, three years after all of my cancer treatment ended. Um, and we tried and tried and tried. You know, I went to the OBGYN and had like my hormones tested. And they're like, yeah, you know, your numbers are super low for, you know, someone who's 30, 38, 39. But, you know, like you could, you know, just keep trying basically is what we were told. And it took us, I don't remember, six, six, seven, eight months um, before I got pregnant. Um, I had a couple of like false positives, which was really heartbreaking. Mm -hmm. um, and then it did get pregnant and I was just like, it's like ecstatic. I think I took three or four pregnancy tests. So I'm like, is it happening? We're going to do this. And then not too long after um, started having some spotting, some bleeding, mm -hmm. um, and it took, you know, it was it felt like it was this long, long thing. Um, and the doctors don't entirely know what happened to me. But at some point I'm like, I'm having a miscarriage. 
And I was in the middle of like a long swim. I was doing like a stage race. It was like a four day swimming race. Um, My husband was at home. I had gone just with a a friend basically. Um, And I'm swimming and I'm like, you know, the day one of the race, I feel great. Day two, I'm like, oh, my stomach is cramping and like got out and like, I can barely walk um, up all night with just cramps and bleeding and thinking, well, women have miscarriages all the time. Like it's, you know, like this is what's happening. And you know, I hadn't told anyone that I was pregnant yet. So it was just this very alone moment. I was kind of in a remote part of Arizona. Um, I couldn't even really text my husband um, to let him know what was happening. And so it was a couple of days before I could kind of communicate to him. Um, and then I got home and kind of we were talking about it and saying, like, this doesn't seem like a normal miscarriage. Um, so I went back to the OB um, and they did like the most painful um, vaginal ultrasound that I've ever had in my life. And they're like, yep, you looks like this is an ectopic pregnancy. And so we were able to treat it medically, um, which was really terrifying. They actually use a chemo drug. Um, and oh, so boy. it was like the second I got like injected with this, it was like, I could just feel my body like go into like cancer mode. Um, and it was just, um, it was trauma inducing in so many ways because it was like my body failing me again. Um, you know, like the doctors are telling me like, be careful, don't move, you know, you can rupture, you know, and if you start heavy bleeding or feeling dizzy, you need to come to the emergency room and we'll have to operate. And, you know, it was just all of this stuff. And it just brought back so many memories of cancer and just feeling like I was not in control of my choices and of my body. Um, it was really hard on my husband to see me sick and feeling like I was fragile again. And so it was just this big moment for us. And, you know, people are, you know, I I wrote about that too. So if anyone wants to read a really painful blog on losing a pregnancy, there's that out there as well. Um, But people, you know, were so kind and so encouraging and like sharing their stories with me. But, you know, resoundingly, everyone was like, you have to keep trying. Um, And I felt like we were not in a place emotionally where we could keep trying because it really just broke us. You know, I think um, we'd been just been through COVID, you know, COVID was still kind of happening and, you know, had to really <laughs> process, you know what I mean? It was just this horrible moment in time. Um, and so we didn't try for a long time. And then it was kind of after that pregnancy where some of my like menopause, perimenopause symptoms really started to come and get me. Um, what was happening at that point? Yeah. So I started getting like really terrible UTIs. Um, I'm trying to think just, you know, again, like vaginal dryness, like not interested in sex. Um, really, again, the hot flashes are like back. I'm not sleeping. I am exhausted. Um, just like kind of, just, I don't know, this overarching just exhaustion and not sleeping. And I've never been a great sleeper. So again, I'm going to the doctors like, I'm not sleeping. And they're like, well, maybe you have sleep apnea. Um, well, you've had these UTIs. Maybe your body is just trying to fight out, fight off all these UTIs. Um, and no one's really like, again, it's like the urologist is saying one thing. The OB is saying another. My primary care is saying another. My oncologist is saying another. And it's confusing. And it's Are like, any of them saying start? menopause? No, that word has was never spoken to me. Um, and so like I'm on the Internet and I'm looking up like symptoms I'm like I know this is hormonal like they tested my thyroid my thyroid's fine um 
And I'm like, this has to be hormonal. And so I'm looking up like symptoms of like estrogen and I'm like, clearly I don't have any estrogen happening in my body here. Um, and then I'm like looking up, I'm like, this is menopause. Like here it is. Like th- this is what fits and not a single doctor has said that to me. And, you know, even recently I'm at the doctor and I'm like, my hormones are whacked out. Like what, is there anything we can do? Um, and my primary care doctor is just hesitant because of my breast cancer history um, to to tell me what I can and can't do. And her answer is talk to your oncologist. And so kind of in the last two years, my original oncologist has moved to Arizona. So I'm kind of without a really mm-hmm. trusted oncologist. And so the person who has been filling in for her that I've been seeing in the meantime, just is not helping. You know what I mean? They're, I mean, every single person I'm talking to and going to, they're compassionate and kind, and they want to stop my symptoms. They want me to feel better, but they're not truly giving me answers. And so um, about a month ago, I was like, you know what? I can change oncologists. (laughs) So (laughs) I was like, I don't have to keep coming here. You know, I'm done with my active treatment. Like it's not going to hurt anything to go and try and find a new oncologist who might actually listen to me. So I visited my primary care doctor. She actually, I mean, I, I pushed so hard. I was like, give me a list of things that you think I should ask my oncologist. And um, so we came up with a list of questions. Um, in the meantime, I'm reading next level. So I've got my own questions. <laughs> um, and so I go to my oncologist and it's been about um, three weeks at this point that I visited him. And I was like, hey, like, I think I'm in menopause. <laughs> um, and he was like, well, yeah. <laughs> And so we we talked through my questions. Um, and so, you know, we're trying a couple of things to see what we can do. Um, I will say so far, um, he started me on a couple of different supplements. Um, black cohosh is one of them. Okay. Um, okay. Is it helping? I think so. That's why I'm trying. I'm still in the phase of like, I can't decide if I think it's helping a ton or not. Um, I think it's making my stomach a little upset. Um, so, you know, trying to work through maybe some of that, but I think I'm actually getting a little bit of relief as far as the sleeping stuff goes. The hot flashes are still, I just had one like five minutes ago. <laughs> like I'm like sweating over here. Um, so I think I'm getting a little, I think, I think we're going to, the, the jury is still out, but I go back in another two weeks um, and we'll reassess. And he said, I want to see you until we can help you start to feel better. Oh, that's, and that's nice. That's, that's I know. Sweet. No one has said that to me. Um, and so, you know, he just was like, yeah, I can't believe no one's talked to you about this. Um, he's sending me for a bone density scan um, just to, to see what might have been happening or not happening there. He was surprised I hadn't had one done yet. Um, so I kind of feel like I found this amazing human who actually like cares about my well-being beyond just like, hey, you survived cancer. Good job. Check. Yeah, no kidding. So just like, because I, I actually don't, don't know how, how common this is. So your, your periods did come back, but mm-hmm. was it, was it the, all the cancer treatment that sort of brought you into this early menopause? Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That's um chemo very commonly. And that's, I hear this horror story from women all the time whose oncologists did not talk to them about this, but chemo destroys your ovaries. It fries them. Um, and so, you know, some women, if you go, you know, if you're getting chemo earlier on, you know, your ovaries are young and can kind of bounce back and recover. But if you're kind of that, again, that 35 age was borderline, but if you're over the age of 35, there is a really solid chance that 
um, you will not regain like ovary function. You will not get periods. You'll be in menopause. And they don't, hormones are off the table. Um, yeah. It, it, I mean, because I was triple negative and like, so hormone negative, I have a little bit of options, but mm-hmm. they don't want to do that for me. Right. So like hormone replacement therapy, not an option for me, um, would not be an option for most breast cancer survivors. Right. Um, I'm not on tamoxifen, which is kind of nice in some ways. Cause that messes with you as well. Um, so that's why I was kind of hoping like, okay, I'm not on tamoxifen. Maybe everything will be normal. You know, I'll go through menopause at a normal time in life, but that was definitely not going to be my experience. So how did you fall into, you had mentioned next level, and this is not a, an advertisement for it, but I'm curious, like how, you know, how, how you found it. Yeah. Um, so I, I coach a group of swimmers, um, just like open water swimmers. So a lot of them are remote, but um, they just, it's not planned, but they just so happen to be mostly women in their forties and fifties. And one of the swimmers that I coached recommended it. She was having some symptoms. Um, She had, I don't know how she had found it, but she found it and just said like, oh my gosh, there's so many concrete things in here that I feel like I can do. And so we kind of read it almost as a group. And then kind of at the same time, my swimmers and I were reading it. Some of my other women friends were also reading it. So I just felt like this summer, like everyone was reading next level. Um, And I had to like kind of make my way through it slowly because um, some of it was kind of emotional for me to like read and like hear it and like see it in black and white. Um, But it was eye opening and um, kind of what it, has done for me over the last couple of months is it's given me like a feeling of like, okay, there are things I can try, right? Like it's not out of my control. Like when I was going through all my cancer treatments, like my body was not mine to own. I could not control what was happening to it. And I was feeling that same way with all of this perimenopause, menopause, like all of this, I was just feeling like, okay, well, this is what's going to happen to me now. I just have to be resigned to gaining weight and feeling tired all the time. And reading that book, I was like, I don't have to, right? There's things I can do to help my bone density. If it's, you know, if we get the scan back and it's bad, like I'm not like, this is not like a death sentence for me. And so, you know, just the tools about things to eat and not ways to exercise more. Cause that was my last doctor. She was like, just exercise more, Sarah. And I'm like, I swim five to six days a week for like two to three hours a day, you know, in the off season, <laughs> like I don't need to exercise more, right? That's not the answer. Um, but just, you know, having some tools of like, all right, do some stuff that's like super high intensity with a lot of recovery, lift some yeah. weight, yeah. you know, like just having tools of things I can try that, maybe they're not all the answer and, you know, I'm still trying to work through what's going to work and not work, but like having tools and options and like something I can refer back to, to say like, I'm not alone. Right. Like other women have gone through this and like, I don't have to suffer. Like I can still go out there. I have dreams of big swims. I still want to do. Um, and it kind of was feeling like, oh, man, like I lost my motivation. Like six months ago, I did a big swim and I finished this big swim and I'm like, I'm done. I'm going to retire. I don't want to do this anymore. Um, and kind of reading one of the later chapters, like it's normal to like lose my <laughs> mojo. Right. Like I was just like, I was like, Oh, there was, I can't remember the name of the chapter, but it was like, um, like being mentally tough. And I'm like, I'm mentally tough. Like I'm the like strongest mentally tough person. I know I don't need to read this chapter. And I was like two paragraphs in and I'm like sobbing. <laughs> and I'm like, 
okay, I need to read this chapter. <laughs> so, you know, that just having those tools and I know you said you don't want to do an advertisement, but like truly just finding a resource and, um, you know, I was inspired by the book and just feeling empowered once I finished it. But I wrote this blog and it just the response from other women. I just got an email last night from someone and she was like, I'm 44. She's like, I don't have medically induced menopause, but I'm going through it now. And your struggles are exactly the same as mine. Thank you. Um, and that kind of, you know, like if I can have a voice out there and say like, hey, this is happening to me. You're not alone. Because I did. I felt so alone for the last two years. Um, and just finding a community of people that like, I'm not alone. I'm not abnormal. <laughs> you know, maybe it's a little early, but not that early. Um, right. It, it's just, it's been amazing. Just put it at that. Put it at that. <laughs> no, that's, so, no, thank you. I mean, that's so great to hear. And it's not, you know, yes, I have a hand in next level, obviously, but, but just, just hearing like the impact that you too are like, I believe in paying it forward and like that you're finding this community and everybody's helping each other's incredibly moving and you know i do think you know as a swimmer like i if i even beyond anything else i'd be like you should lift some weights you know i mean i'm probably yes. telling you you should probably lift yeah. some weights. yeah and i i think it'll i think no matter what happens with the bone scan i'm gonna tell you to like yeah to lift some probably weights. should lift weights you know we lifted a lot in college and i hated it so i've got some just like ptsd from like college weightlifting but just i'm sold like i'm convinced you might like, like it now yeah, your you know, like, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I'm gonna give. I'm definitely gonna give it um, a shot for sure. The gym is intimidating, though. I'm not gonna lie. Like the the big, you know, burly men, and so finding the courage to just like carve out my own space when I go to the gym, I think will probably be the biggest hurdle. Um, but I am like committed to like making that happen and figuring out how to make this work for me because I just I see the benefits. You know, I see my female friends who lift, and I just we got to do it. Yeah. And, and I, and I hear, I, I hear that. I, I don't know. I don't know how many options you have. There are, there are gyms that are not filled like that, you know, that are less, that, that are less, because yeah. there's a lot of women in the weight room now, I guess is what I'm trying yeah, to say. Fair. You know, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, so yeah. If you can like get in there and own your space, you're, you're going to be in, in good shape, but no, that's really great to hear. And I'm really, I hadn't known from my background in you that you had found this other oncologist, which is also so wonderful to hear that you have found somebody who is working with you, which is so, so great. I mean, um, it it is, I mean, it's lonely. It can be a lonely space when you're 50 and, you know, and it's sort mm -hmm. of an expected time. I can right. only imagine, you know, what it feels like 10 years prior. And like you're saying, it's not like, super, super early, especially given the history, but it's still, you know, I mean, it's, it still is an isolating situation. So I'm really glad that you have found this community as well. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. <laughs> so so, so you, you sort of like very, very offhandedly talked about the big swim. <laughs> just, yeah. I'm just like, I think it was bigger than, than you can just sort of toss that out there. Yeah. So you before, so there's two, there's, there's another one that I'd wanted to ask you about that I think you did like a year after you completed your treatments, like, because you had talked about the English channel when you, we first started talking that you were like, I think I could go back. And it sounds like you did go back and do. I did go back. Yeah. So what did you do there? Yeah. So um, it was almost, almost exactly a year after my treatments ended for cancer. Um, I went back to the English channel and I swam it four times consecutively. So I swam from England to France back to England, back to France, and then back 
to England uh, without stopping. Um, so in history, four other people had done it three times. So England to France, back to um, France. Um, so four people had done that, two women and two men. So, you know, in doing it three times, I was the fifth person to do that. And no one had ever turned and headed back to England. So it was this kind of huge dream. I had been, you know, the way the English Channel works, you have to book a slot years in advance. I was going to ask um, that. Yeah. So I had had this swim booked um, kind of before I even did Lake Champlain. Um, and so it was on the agenda. It was it was booked. It was, you know, I was committed to doing it. Then I get this cancer diagnosis. Um, and I remember kind of once you get over the like, am I going to die questions? Um, I started asking my doctors, like, am I going to be able to swim 80 miles again? You know, and they look at you really funny <laughs> when you ask that question because they don't know. Right. Like, especially my surgeon, like he's like, I don't I don't know the functionality of a breast implant and what that is going to do to your swimming. He, he, I mean, he was honest. He's like, I don't I don't know. Does it feel different? Oh, yeah. Um, so I only did um, a one sided mastectomy so that I wasn't going to mess with my pec muscle on my left side. Um, but my implant is underneath my pec muscle. Oh, and yeah. so, you know, like swimming is very pec oriented, right? And so um, I have a little bit of like mobility issues in my shoulder from my implant. And so, you know, spent a lot of time with PT in the year after all my surgeries to like try and get my range of motion back and like rebuild strength. Um, I still have, you know, pain and discomfort, you know, it's kind of ongoing, but really I've managed to work through it and kind of deal with it. Um, but yeah, especially one year later, it's much better now than it was a year after treatment. When um, you swam 80 yeah, miles. When I, yeah. When I swam 80 miles the in the English channel. So like, I look, I still had my um, tissue expander in when I did that, um, which, yeah, people who have had a tissue expander are going to be like, what the hell, woman? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, I did. I still have my tissue expander and we delayed surgery. You know, we kind of built a lot of my treatment um, around this English Channel swim um, because I was like, I wanted to do it. Um, I remember my boat captain for the English Channel. They, you know, you take it, they take a deposit when you first book it and then they ask you for half a year out. And so, you know, he's followed me on social media. He knew what was going on and he sent me this really nice email. Um, and he was like, I hate to ask you this, but like, are you still coming? <laughs> uh, and I emailed him right back, like, I am coming. And so, you know, it was hard, you know, that year, you know, kind of between treatment and getting to the English Channel was a struggle, you know, like I am not as strong as I was. I'm relearning how to swim in a lot of ways, like, I am not hitting my times in the pool, you know, like it was just frustrating. Um, but at some point in the summer and I'm in the middle of training, I'm like, Sarah, you're doing your best. And that is good enough. Um, and kind of from that moment on, like, kind of just, you're like, hey, maybe I am never going to be as good as I was, but I'm still good enough. And kind of that mentality, that mindset kind of, saved me through the last couple of months of my training. You know, I'm in the English channel. They will ask me, like, did you know that you were going to be able to do it? And like, I wouldn't have started if I didn't think that I could do it. Um, but just, I was kind of at peace with it. You know, like, I feel like I, I, I feel like I'm good. I know that I did my best and I'm going to walk into this water and I'm going to enjoy it. And I'm going to fight for every single inch of this channel. 
Um, and I did, you know, my last lap was 17 hours. The first three were like kind of in the 11, 12 hour range. And we hit really crazy currents on the last lap. Um, you know, and I just remember like, I'm in the middle of the channel and like the sun's coming up and I can see England and I'm oh like, we are off course. You know, and I'm asking my team, like, how much farther, you know, like, I knew we should have been there, you know, like, I, I know it's been 12, 13 hours. Why are we not there? You know, and they're like, just, just go, you know, and like sprint, you know, get through these currents. Like, it was crazy. And it was like, I am not getting out of this water until I make it back to England. I have not come this far um, to not make it. And so it was just it was crazy. You know, I crawled out on the beach, like it's a steep, rocky beach. And I'm like crawling. Um, and there's a crowd of people. And I just remember like looking back, like what just happened? Um, and it, it was, it was crazy. I think it probably took two years for like that moment to like even sink in for me as to like what I actually accomplished because it was so huge um, with the backdrop of surviving cancer and just you know, life, <laughs> you know, it's pretty crazy. I'm not, I'm not rarely, I, 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 I don't usually have a, wor- a lack of words, but I am just so, there's so much about talking to you that has left me kind of awestruck and dumbstruck. I talk to a lot, Sarah, I talk to a lot of people and I talk to a lot of high level athletes and Many, if not most, like you can usually tell when they have done things like they they carry a, a level of some little bit of self-importance or something about them. You, you know that mm-hmm. like you, you have you have like none of that. Like you wouldn't know that like you're talking. I'm like, nobody in the world has done this. <laughs> and you're just so unassuming about it. It's <laughs> it's kind of blowing my mind. Um it's just it's it's amazing i mean it's really amazing i like Thank so <laughs> it, it's true it's just i i'm i'm literally i'm just kind of blown away by this conversation um and just to com- just to continue this mind-blowing episode for me like mm-hmm. so talk about the last one you did which was i don't know what the north channel is so uh, pardon my ignorance but you are also the first person in history to complete a two-way crossing of the North Channel. And I know that there were giant jellyfish because I saw that. Yeah, there was huge jellyfish. Yeah. So the, what is um, the North Channel and when and what did you do there? Yeah. So the North Channel is the body of water between Northern Ireland and Scotland. Okay. Um, it's So in the swimming world, there's a challenge called the Ocean's Seven, kind of modeled after the seven highest summits or whatever it's called in mountaineering and so there's these seven channel swims that people try to do um i have never really been chasing that challenge but um, i had the opportunity to do the north channel and it was on that list um one of my good friends was the first american to ever do that swim back in 2012 2013 somewhere in there um and he came home with like these horror stories of the jellyfish. And so I'm like, I'm never going to the North Channel. Um, but kind of just slowly over the years, like, okay, I, like, I knew I was going to have to go to the North Channel at some point. Um, it's really cold. Um, so the water is like 51, 52, 53 degrees at the warmest. And you are again, wet I'm not, suiting? Yeah, I'm not in a wetsuit. So oh, my God. Regular I can't, like that alone. Swimming. <laughs> yes. Okay, yes. go ahead. <laughs> yeah. And so like I've been terrified of this channel for years. And so kind of almost begrudgingly was like, okay, I'm gonna go do the North Channel. Um, 
I'm just going to get it done so I don't ever have to think about it again. And then I, you know, I get there, I get to Northern Ireland and it's just beautiful. Um, the water is beautiful. The people are beautiful. Like just, it's a very wonderful, like magical part of the world. And the weather was terrible. And so we're waiting for the weather to clear. And so I'm getting in the water like every day and I'm like, you know, I think maybe I could like go there and back. You know, I didn't really train for that, but like, I think I could do it. Um, no one's ever done it. People have tried. I'm like, I think maybe I want to give it a shot. <laughs> and so we did. Um, uh, we started, usually you start in Ireland and swim over to Scotland, but we started in Scotland, swam to Ireland and then back to Scotland. Um, the way over um, from Scotland to Ireland was like great, nice conditions. I only got stung a couple of times by jellyfish. Um the water, the waves were kind of rough. So when it's like rougher, um, the jellyfish go down oh, um, okay. on the way back, it was um, dead flat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so all the jellyfish came <laughs> up. And so we were about like halfway through on the way back and I'm just getting nailed by these gigantic. I mean, I can't even tell you how big they are. Lion's mane's jellyfish. Um, some of them were so large, like all I could see were like their tentacles, right? The water is like really clear, but I can't see where this jellyfish is starting and where it's ending. All I can see is I'm swimming over a bed of tentacles. Oh my God. Um, you know, and then it, there's other stingy things, not just the lion's mane. So there's a whole bunch of different kinds of jellyfish. And so you're just nailing. And you're not and, like, freaking I, out? Well, you know, it was one of those things like, I hate jellyfish. Like I am more terrified of jellyfish than I am of sharks um like yes like but I did my freak out ahead of time because I knew they were going to be there right I'd heard the stories I knew the horror stories I had done what I could to mitigate them like and you're you're in the moment right and so in the moment like this is just what's happening to me what does it feel like I mean your your skin must be pretty cold right so like what does it feel like when you're getting stung it feels the best way is like a jolt of electricity, mm. but then it like burns. Um, I don't know when I, so when I finally finished, it took me 22 hours. So 22 hours in um, 52 degree water, I'm getting stung by jellyfish. <laughs> um, you know, I get out, I'm on the, I'm on the boat um, and they kind of like soaped me down. So that kind of helped alleviate some of the They didn't pee on you? They, 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 they... No. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> you don't I'm, do that. I'm kind of like glad. That. There was a lot of people and that would have been really concerning if they were like peeing all over my face <laughs> and my arms. Um, yeah. But, you know, so we're like, we're, uh, we're on the boat right back and I'm kind of like wrapped up in my parka with my hat and my gloves on and I'm shaking and I'm like, I'm, I think I'm shaking because I'm cold. Um, like, I think there's like, you know, like, I think this is from the jellyfish. And then someone on the boat were like, hey, are your jellyfish things sweating yet? And I was like, that's what's happening. And so, like, I pulled up my sleeve and I was like, you could just see, like, the lash marks on my arm. Um, and I'm just oozing. Um, and they call it sweating. <laughs> and so, but, so these things are just, like, oozing. And it looks like I'm sweating. Um, so there's, like, little beads of sweat just, like, dripping off of my arms. And it was probably a solid six to eight hours of that, like, just burning painful torture until it finally just kind of slowly went away yeah wow but it's not it was not pleasant (laughs) yeah I wasn't sure if it also would like jack up your adrenaline like I mean I'm I'm a little sensitive to bees you know so like I get I I blow up where it's a very localized reaction but if I get stung enough I start freaking the hell out like it's just this adrenaline like it's a for sure 
And that was, you know, I'd been stung by jellyfish a couple of times before, like in the English Channel, there's jellyfish, uh, but I'd never been stung by lion's mane. And you don't really know like what your allergic reaction is going to be right. to that particular species of jellyfish. Right, right. Um, so we didn't really know what was, we knew I was going to get stung and we didn't know how I was going to react. Um, I've heard horror stories of people like being airlifted out of the middle of that channel uh, with like collapsed lungs and, you know, spending, you know, days in the ICU in the hospital because they reacted poorly to the jellyfish thing. Poorly. So like, <laughs> you know, like that could happen. Right. So, you know, I think we were all like super nervous. Like, am I going to get airlifted out of here? Um after spending two days or, you know, two ways in the English channel or the North channel. Um, so I was lucky in that aspect that it wasn't really, um, I was not having any type of like an allergic reaction to him because people do. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are stoked to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's has unlocked the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research and creates better shoes for women's performance. Some of Hedda's special features include a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing on women's ankle bones, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and accommodate female toe shape, a more narrow and reductive heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take pressure off the Achilles, a rounded instep that creates a snug fit through the middle to match the curvature of a woman's foot, and supercritical foam and a PBEX plate in the midsole to keep our legs going when the going gets tough. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for your long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've been running in the Alma Tempos, and they are a pleasure to train in. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20, that's all caps, FEISTY20, for 20% off. Check it out today. We'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Musculoskeletal health is everything during menopause. Everyone knows how much I love Joint Health Plus from Prevenex, which has helped me get back to distance running after arthritic toes stopped me in my tracks. Now they have a product that has become my go-to for muscle strength and recovery, Muscle Health Plus. Muscle Health Plus contains all the key ingredients we talk about on this show, like creatine monohydrate, essential amino acids, and branched-chain amino acids, Plus, even more cutting-edge ingredients like HMB and estrogen that are scientifically shown to increase muscle growth, recovery, and strength. I use it every day during my early morning lifting sessions, and there's no question that it helps my power during those workouts and my recovery after. Plus, I love having everything I need from the best high-quality ingredients in one reasonably priced shake. I've also heard from fellow users who have had bloating or GI upset in the past from creatine that haven't had any of that with Muscle Health Plus. I make my shake with almond milk and espresso, but it's also good with ice cold water, which makes the flavor really pop. As always, you can get 15% off your first order with the code HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Prevenex.com. That's HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Prevenex.com. Do your muscles a favor and head on over and get some today. Two, two final questions. I could talk to you all day. Um, <laughs> But uh, I guess the interminable question that everyone asks is like, what is next? Do you have something lined up in the 
near future for your swimming and then i want to talk about the book you have coming out so yeah sure let's talk about the first one do you have something lined up next um nothing too crazy um i am I have two more swims left on that Ocean 7 challenge. So one of them is the Suguru Strait, which is between two islands in Japan. So I am going to Japan um, in July. Um, so it should be super fun. Um, it's not a super long swim. I'm doing it with a friend, so there will be no doubling or anything. It'll just be like a, just a straight um, swim. The currents there are kind of crazy. So it could be a seven-hour swim. It could be a 14-hour swim. <laughs> we'll find out. Um but there's wildlife there. Um, there's jellyfish, but nothing too, nothing too super duper crazy. But um, I've wanted to do this swim for years and years, unlike the North Channel where I've been putting it off. Um, so I'm very excited to go to Japan and um, oh, that's cool. Get get number six done, and then hopefully number seven, um, the last one remaining, is the Strait of Gibraltar. Um, so that will be the last one, and hopefully I can do that one next year. So then I'll have the Ocean Seven done. So that's kind of what's immediately pending. Oh, that's really um, cool. Do you often see very cool wildlife when you swim? Yeah, there's, I mean, some swims, there's like nothing. There's not a whole lot in the English Channel other than like jellyfish and trash um, and big cargo ships. But like um, I swam the Cook Strait, which is between the North and South Islands of New Zealand. Um, and like this huge, gigantic pod of dolphins came and swam. Um, and it was like the coolest thing. That was, um, the Cook Strait was actually my very first swim after cancer treatment. And it was like six months um, after radiation ended. And I kind of, it was also planned and I kind of used it as like a, let's get back into it kind of a swim. Um, and it was rough, like conditions were terrible and I was like really miserable. And then this, like these dolphins just appeared and I was like, thanks friends, you yeah. saved me. So oh, yeah, awesome. stuff like that happens. Um, a lot of stuff is at nighttime. And so you don't always. Yeah get to see the cool stuff. Um, I did a swim in Hawaii and um, it was mostly overnight and then the sun came up and it's like, oh my gosh, I'm like in an aquarium right now. Yeah, I, I've done, so, I did Kona cool and stuff. it's yeah. amazing the stuff yeah. you see. That's very cool. Yes, for sure. And then you have a memoir coming out. When is that coming out? It's called The Afterdrop because coming back to life hurts. And I love that title. Uh, can you talk about what the, that title means for those people who, who may not know? Afterdrop. Yeah, definitely a swimming term. Um, but when you swim in cold water, which I do frequently, um, and you kind of push your limit a little bit, um, you get out of the water and you kind of think that you're fine. And then a couple of minutes after being out of the water, um, you know, when you're, when you're in the cold water, all your blood is going to your heart, right. To keep you like alive and not hypothermic. And then you get out, um, and it kind of, your body relaxes and all that blood rushes to your extremities. And that's when you start shivering and so that is called the after drop and so like when you're getting out of cold water there's always the rush to like get your warm clothes on really quick and before the after drop hits yeah um so there's definitely a lot of imagery about you know kind of pushing your limits and then suffering through the after drop and then coming back even stronger and better than before and that is the story of the book i'm imagining yes yes exactly and so um still working on it um my first draft is very solidly done but um hopefully it will be out this year um i was hoping for earlier this year but you know life gets oh i know the book writing life you don't have to explain <laughs> yes. to me <laughs> yeah yeah so and i want it to be good i know lots of um so my followers are really looking forward to it and i want to make sure it's great for everyone who reads it and that i'm getting you know the message across of you know life can be really really hard and things are unexpected but man there's still some beautiful adventures to be had out there too I love I love that. And I guess 
Is there anything that we haven't said that you would like to relay to a woman who might be facing the same circumstances that, you know, you've gone through? Just talk about it. Um, I just feel like so many of women's issues are just not vocally spoken about. Um, And I think our sisters, our mothers, our husbands, you know, our brothers, like everyone needs to know and to be able to have that opportunity to support you um, and advocate for yourself. You know, you would think with all of the cancer stuff I've been through, I would be really good at advocating, but apparently I still have lessons to learn on that. Um, So, you know, just talk about it, advocate for yourself. Don't, don't just suffer. There's options. You have, you have options. Please take advantage of your options. Well, that's our show. Join me next week when I sit down with movement pioneer Jill Miller, creator of Tune Up Fitness and author of Body by Breath. We talk a lot about breath work for stress reduction and how to help with menopause symptoms, but most of us don't really know what breath work means and importantly, what might be preventing us from breathing in ways that benefit us most in the first place. So come on back for that one. And until then, as always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause. And please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends. And please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening, and as always, stay feisty. Thank you.